beings and services. No, no. Death by DVD. Classics. Your favorite live hits of Death by DVD. Back from the dead. This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to Death by DVD Classics. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and what are Death by DVD Classics? Well, every episode of Death by DVD used to be live once a week, every week. In 2019, our back catalog of episodes dating all the way back to 2009 were wiped clean to make room for the new Death by DVD. We took all those episodes and have them safely stored at the bottom of an abandoned nuclear missile silo where every so often we grab one of them, clean it up, and put it back out to be heard by the world. This episode was originally broadcast live June 17th, 2016, and it caught the attention of Sam Neill. The Sam Neill. Sir Nigel John Dermot Neill, Knight Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Also, the star of the movie discussed on the episode. Wow. We're talking 1981's Possession, starring Neil and Isabella Johnny on this classic. Out of all the episodes we've done from 2009 to now, this is one of the most popular episodes in Death by DVD history. Mostly because Sam Neill listened to it and he shared it. Thank you, sir. So, let's get this show on the road. And let's take a little trip back in time to 2016. Without further ado, may I present, originally titled, Who Needs Dialogue When You Can Just Scream? Death by DVD Classics. Death by DVD Does. Possession. Whoa. So, this is Radio Land, huh? Radio Land. The Infinite Turtle, the, the waves through the ether roll on forever. Jump right in to possession. Dun, 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 dun. We need to start, I guess, quickly with this one because I think only once those of us are probably going to get the director's name right. So I'm going to get mine out of the way. Juwaski. The uh, the Andre Juwaski movie from 1981. Juwaski, yes. It's, um, uh, we, we clearly, you know, how many what eight years almost of Death by DVD? Eight years of us fucking up names. Everyone should be okay with that. You know, we're not professional. It doesn't matter. All right, possession. 
I am not going to go into a long explanation about what this fucking movie is about because there's I can't get into that. That'd be the whole show. Let's just say it's about a divorce, and then she goes and has a miscarriage that becomes a turnip that turns out to be the Antichrist after she fucks it. That should be the right of IMDb. I mean, because most of the time when you're looking up possession, you get a a, uh, secret agent comes home into the midst of a horrible divorce, and that doesn't really give you uh, what you're going to get into. It's a really, really, really shitty way to describe it. I like the turnip baby. Not even close. That works better. Well, first, the one thing we probably need to kind of identify is when you hear the title Possession, your immediate thoughts, and it, it belongs in the horror genre for the most part. Possession is not so much about demon possession. I mean, it could be a, an idea that being worked with here. The title Possession really means a possession, as in someone's possession, as in Sam Neill's possession is his wife, as in her possession. Yeah, it's looking on, on that level to start with, and you'll kind of get a grip on what this movie's getting at because – the history of it is Zulowski, I think it was his first major actual film. I'm sure he's done shorts and some other things. He it's was most recently definitely going his first English-speaking film, but oh, I know yeah. that much. That This was the first time he crossed that barrier, and uh, we had actually been discussing that a little bit before the show, that the language doesn't it, – it's not a turnoff, but it's much more like a stage play. Uh, it's much more direct. As in, in film, you would hold back because the camera, you know, it's – makes everything a lot more, all gestures a lot more bold, and they're acting basically stage acting in this film, and that's kind of what makes it work. And Zulowski, as I was saying before, he was going through a divorce, and this is the product of his divorce, kind of what he was going through and his feelings. So if you can get at it on that level, you can kind of go on for the ride, because this is about divorce people who are incredibly unhappy, but also incredibly crazy and they they yell quite a bit but that's kind of what makes it interesting is the fact that there's a lot of passion just agreeing completely i think on one aspect and one level this is a film that's completely about loss but if you look at it again from the side of what the title could mean i mean a lot of this is speculative when it comes down to what we're going to be talking about in fact it could be about loss or being okay with loss. And I think that's a major theme in this, this movie is that everything's about loss, this divorce, losing something that's important to you, and what's overlooked by each character through their actions and the insanity and the screaming is that maybe people should be a little bit more comfortable with loss or that everything you lose might not be what's good for you or what you need. And that yeah, is, I mean, if, if you can translate the screaming, I guess that's kind of what I feel. That's would kind be of an point. interesting because that, that, that's open to interpretation. That's what's kind of awesome about possession is it is open to, to interpretation. That's kind of how you see it. And I see it similarly, but slightly different than that. Hmm. How do you get into possession? You, we do, you don't really have – everything I've read about the movie, everybody has an opinion on it. And that's kind of what makes this really cool is that I, I wouldn't say anyone's opinion's wrong. I read from uh, one person that he'd seen this film and directly had to go show it to other people. I'm glad somebody got such a strong understanding on their first viewing of this that they could run out and tell other people. But to me, it's almost troubling. It's such a strong picture. 
And at first view, you get a very nihilistic feeling to things, and I don't think it, there's nihilism in this. I, I wouldn't think call there's it a lot of yeah, because almost with nihilism, it's like there's no point in me doing anything because the world is what the world is. But in this, it's all about these characters doing everything in their power to hold on to what they once had, or even go into this new fucking dimension they're headed into in the film, and the film's ultimately about love and how love makes you crazy and that's kind of where i really agree on this film because you have a lot of people out there say my marriage is a partnership you know we pay the bills together and what the fuck kind of marriage is that shit because that's bland that's boring so what the person is stable who gives a fuck do you love them would you do anything for them would you like second guess well, then yourself perhaps as maybe a human we, being instead of saying that this is about love, it's more or less about the idea of love because in the constraints and the love, restrictions yeah. in which these two people love each other, things aren't right. And just as you're saying, there you know the, the stability, the dependability of of your person, your significant other being whatever that is ideal for some people. In this situation, it seems like they loved ideas of themselves that is repeated constantly. Yes. You know, I'm afraid that you're not going to love me anymore, that you're going to not be interested in me anymore because people are growing and changing. So it's just the ideas of what they restricted their love for each other to be. They don't really kind of love each other. Their marriage is fucked, and they don't really love each other, but they're so in love with the idea of love and the idea of passion that's that's where it takes them. It's these insane levels, uh, like a scene of Sam, uh, Neil... In the rocking chair, which is just fucking lunacy. It's just he's over-exaggerating all of his movements. He's almost tipping this rocking chair over every time. And the look on his face is utterly bizarre. He looks somewhat possessed. And that's where, I mean, you're going to get a lot of possession in possession. Beyond the realm of human desire, there is a darkness. Well, that's why I'm with you. Because you say I for me. Love opens to absolutely unknown horizons. Isabella Johnny, the internationally acclaimed actress in her most explosive, controversial role.
loss comes forward too, where a lot of the story is of love and loss because they love the ideas of each other and they realize that they have lost what that is and are just clinging to, to what could have been or what can be. Yeah. And the what can be starts to just spiral completely out of control going into just a whole fucking new dimension, like you said. Very apt that you say that because at a certain point, Sam Neill meets his son's school teacher who looks just like his wife, Isabella Dejani, but she's got kind of blonde hair and green eyes. And then Isabella Dejani, who has a fucking baby turnip that grows into Sam Neill. If, I mean, at a certain point in the film, they've both sort of created their idealized versions of their previous make. It still looks like Sam Neill, but he's got fucking black, goddamn irises and he is a creepy fuck but that's her kind of idealized look like idea of sam neil because he does have passion but it's a controlling passion the original sam neil and what she needs is someone like heinrich or she needed some kind of excitement in her life because sam neil's fairly ineffectual unless one of his possessions is taken away and then all of a sudden he cares then all of a sudden he's yelling I mean, you've got this very uh, artsy, you know, uh, foreign film, something you'd go see in black and white with your girlfriend to get laid kind of movie we're talking about here. We're kind of leaving out the point that there, this turnip baby thing, I, well, for lack of better words, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to call it. It is a huge part of the movie. She does somehow meet up with some sort of force or something that impregnates her with this creature. And you, you, you're led to believe it's the Antichrist or some sort of a menacing figure in which is going to, to wreak complete and utter havoc and becomes this doppelganger of Sam Neill. So you've got a little bit of a horror aspect to it. You've got a lot of the sci-fi aspect to it, but it doesn't really play a pivotal part. It's there, I think, really just to kind of push you forward to understanding the, yeah. the emotion behind it and or the people's change, that it's more of a, a plot device than it is, you know, let's symbol. focus on this evil thing. The kind of more supernatural aspects of the film are mostly symbols symbols of kind of their emotions and what they're going through it's you can sit here and try to pick this film apart and try to find a logical explanation for all of it but there really isn't a logical explanation for most of it it's that's why i always say when someone's entering into the possession is just look at it as a film about divorce and fucking just ignore the turnip well i mean you have this device you have this this creature you have this thing and kind of what i took for it is their, their marriage is not perfect so before there has to not be a all. point beforehand there's a prehistory to this movie and if you really need something to go with then you just take the prehistory they they fight constantly they hate each other they hate their lives at some point somewhere she screamed out something help me or i i wish this or i want that and perhaps Somewhere in her journey, I mean, uh, there's infidelity on both parts. Clearly, he's cheated on her, and that has caused the issues. She takes another lover. Maybe before or after that, she encountered something, something that answered her prayers. I mean, I just feel kind of with the monster, with the creature, with what's going on, that it's, it's given to you to answer that question, that this is her resolve. This is the thing that's going to bring them closer. I mean, a lot of couples uh, and just using real life, oh, we're fighting, life sucks. Somebody will they'll have, they'll bring a child forth into the picture of things, and that tends to not help it. They already have this child who's suffering from their relationship being so broken. A new thing has been brought forward. The carrot baby. Take whatever we're going to call it, you know, for whatever it is. It's a device that's used to show they are possessions. Here's something driven forward. If I can't have you, then I'll make what I want of you exist. Uh, that's 
kind of almost exactly what I'm talking about because Sam Neill imagines this, and you can look at it that way, almost like the film um, David Cronenberg's Spider, that he sees his son's school teacher as his wife, but you know, a lot more demure, a lot calmer, what he's been looking for, someone who's going to love him and not Let's talk about Spider next week, right before I forget it. What a good movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah, fucking amazing movie. Um, But that's kind of like they've over the fucking deep end at a certain point and made these idealized versions of themselves to interact in their lives. These visions of what they really wish that their mate was. Um, Maybe it's a um, very mousy school teacher and maybe it's a demon carrot. What I think is interesting, though, is I don't don't feel that they, you know, in, in the restraints of like what they've come up with and who they wish that their other one would be, I don't think that they're trying to replace that person or the idea of that person. I think both of them as characters, you know, just, just considering them real for a moment, have come to terms and then realized, you know, this isn't my perfect mate, but what if they were? And it's more of a fantasy aspect of things. That this is, it, I mean, it's odd that it's become real, but, but what happens? At wh- the where end? does reality begin and end? Once their doppelgangers are totally in this reality, what happens to them? She kills herself. He kills himself. It's almost like we've, I mean, if you want to get kind of deep about it, it's almost like we've grown as people, the other sides of ourselves. You're more anti-Christ your school teacher side. Well, I mean, you can look at it too from a a point that you can't own people, that a possession or not, you, you can't own them. And once you realize that, the only thing you can do is set them free. And that's achieved by both of them um, dying. So... (laughs) I, again, I don't want and to call it nihilistic, though, because you know, that sounds so brutal and so sad, but it, it's kind of hopeful and, and beautiful when you look at it long enough. I mean, it, it's it's very strange, but it's kind of like the most pure aspects of love that they've realized, I can't own you, I can't make you what I want you to be, so, I mean, let's just go. And they finish it, well, I saw, because there's no point to that. Um, earlier today, I saw this review of um, somebody talking about possession, and they brought up that it reminded them a lot of uh, Lars von Trier's. I can't never pronounce his fucking name, but uh, he made Antichrist and he made Nymphomaniac one and two. And once he said Antichrist, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that it, this is basically a lot like Antichrist, um, a lot less up your own ass, arty. I mean, it's still a very artful film, especially for 1980, but it's not. I mean, it's a very German movie. Yeah, it's very German. Even though the guy's Polish, this movie's very German, and Lars von Trier is very German. So, even though I think he might be Swedish. uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the director of this one's from the Ukraine.
when I say it's very German, it's a very, very story-driven uh, idea with little story. And I think there's just a lot of representations of uh, you know Germany and the political state of 1980. And it's, it's filmed in Berlin. It's a very Berlin movie. I think the, the differences of the characters, you know, there's the lover and then there's Sam Neill. I, I feel that kind of represents the differences of German culture and society. You know, the lover is a very laid back dancer. Uh, he's, he's very kind of touchy feely. He's deep within himself. He's deep within philosophy. Sam Neill is very conservative. He's very uh, constricted about his actions and what he talks about and what he believes in is very cookie cutter and presented in front of you. So in between her going from, you know, super conservative to super liberal, super, uh, I don't know, relaxed, somewhere in between you've got the, the device of the impregnation, the, 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 possession, uh, the possession of the possessed, I guess. The uh, subway tunnel scene where she just kind of lets loose and has this miscarriage or even birth perhaps that is some intensity and that this movie that's one word to sum it all up is intensity um steven thrower a noted author in the horror genre um compared possession to uh kabuki theater and that's again very ass it's very over the top opera and we've opera on this show way more than we should have but it's building this whole thing is building it starts out very loud and continues to be loud but it does have some quietness to it as well but the louds are so loud and that subway tunnel scene is just that's an actress turned loose much like the character who's just absolutely fed up with her life and she's just completely pretty much having a total nervous breakdown and Isabella Ojani actually had a nervous breakdown filming this movie and apparently attempted suicide not long after she uh Start in possession. So, kind of troubling to say, but just on a personal note, as, as somebody who has sat and viewed and watched this movie and enjoys this movie, that to me was, I think, the most the most beautiful, just just gorgeous scene. It was. It's so chaotic. It's so upsetting. It's very hard to watch the whole scene without starting to feel upset yourself. It doesn't matter what's going on in your day. Just her thrashing and just slamming herself against this wall, and her screaming is breathtaking. You can see that it's paining her. She's, I, don't, I didn't feel she was acting. There, there was something triggered, something that she used inside. Very well could have been the, the, the film itself and what it did to her. It's just beautiful. It, it's, it's such pure it's almost chaos, like, um, such pure anger on film like that. It's, uh, you, you can't not love something that pure because that's all we want is purity and an actual believable performance. A lot like Irreversible, like the rape scene in Irreversible – which is a horrible thing to watch, but just basically three-fourths of the way through the film, you get this scene of absolute horror and intensity. And what makes it, I mean, you can portray, in reference to reverse, we can portray rape in any way you want to, but never has it been portrayed in a film where it's just so, like, disheartening and just so fucked up. And kind of the same thing goes for Possession is, this person pretty much having complete nervous breakdown and just what's making you feel the scene and what's important in film is making you feel something, something we've lost in the past 10 years. 
And this scene to me, makes it was you almost feel something. It makes you feel like the characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way she writes and the way she threw herself, there was just something so gorgeous about the performance. The way she moved was just so believable. It was it, for a moment I lost the the aspect in the fourth wall, and I just wanted to to walk up to this person. Just to I don't know what I would have said or what I would have done. It was just so intriguing and so attractive. It's it's. Just beautiful, for for lack well, of any other word. And that's where the movie, to me, takes off a presence of its own, because it, that's the whole movie. It isn't just one isolated aspect. Yes, this scene itself, I think, is, is much, has bigger balls than any of the other scenes, but everything else is just fighting. And if it's not bitter, you like you had mentioned, it goes, it gets quiet. But there's usually when something gets quiet, especially in the sense of an opera, there's a heartening moment. There's a warmth. Everything is just kind of cold. It's it's upsetting. Very, it's very strange. It's both empathetic and apathetic that scene altogether because you do have empathy for the character because you are feeling what she's feeling. You're feeling this claustrophobia of her life, and very apathetic because you can feel it in yourself as well. And that's kind of the true test of an excellent film: is it makes you feel something. It makes you go on the ride with it. I mean, I love. Captain America Civil War. I thought it was a great film. I, I wouldn't say I loved it. I thought it was probably one of the better Marvel movies. Not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy, but again, didn't make me really feel anything. It was cool, but very rarely do we get films that come along that just the way they're shot, the way they're acted, it doesn't even have to particularly pertain to the script. It just has to pertain to this total package of making you feel something in your life, making you reference something in your life that's made you feel this way or a way you would like to feel perhaps in the future. And I've had plenty of conversations with people. Um, where why would it, why would you want a movie to make you feel anything? You just want a movie to entertain you. Are you a fucking idiot? I mean, that movies are the perfect way for you to experience something in your life without actually having to go through the fucking shit. Like, or no in a lot of situations, it's a way to re-experience something that completely tore you apart. And, and again, like you said, oh, it yeah. doesn't have to always have to do with something with the script. I mean, I, I don't heavily relate to anything from Possession, but watching that movie triggers something, just a, a dark sadness. But at the same time, it's so questionable because I don't quite know what has brought it on, what has made me so upset. But it's just this lingering sort of melancholia that sits over me and makes me reflect. On numerous things, uh, you know, one that we've talked about multiple times on this show, uh, Bellflower. I watch that now, and I look back on a, a, a horrible year of my life that had just I was likened to and compared so much to that movie. It helped me get through such a hard time, and I watch it now, and it's almost comedic. Of like, wow, what a dumb fucking youth I was. You can go back in time, good or bad, and, and feel it. And, uh, like, I, I, it's funny you brought up the Marvel movies. I really can't stand any of them because I don't feel shit. I don't get a point. I don't, I get the point. I understand why they were made. I don't get the point when I watch it, though. And I generally complain of that. I always want something more. I always want more of a story. And then here, what we're presenting you with, Possession, it, it could leave you oh, wanting wow, a thousand different questions. I mean, I, I desperately, one part of me, yes, tell me more about the weird things. What's, what's up with these gooey tentacle Lovecraft monsters in the bedroom? But then once I, you know, you, another part of me that looks at it from the, the idea of loss or the ideas of love or what people think love is, 
so many questions are answered within itself. Uh, I don't think anything else is necessary. So you can go at it either way, and it just depends on who you are or what you want out of the experience. I mean, whenever I pick a movie out to watch, it's because I want to experience something in the movie, something in this I want to feel today. That's the only reason I like film. Compared to another one of our favorite whipping boys, um, something that's gone the last few years, fucking crappy Serbian film. Yeah, that movie makes you feel disgust. Wow, you shot me, shot me. You tried really hard. Possession makes me feel something. Serbian film just makes you go, Jesus Christ, that's really well lit and shit, but you pretty much wrote nothing and just tried to cite me out with a bunch of fucking ideas that are just terrible things to think about. But when you get into possession, it does make you feel sometimes horrible. It makes you feel the loss um, on both sides. This is not like just so much about Sam Neill's character. It's about a couple who have lost each other. If there was something there before, they have a child together. You wording it that way, I, I, I think that kind of actually really defines the feeling. You know, I, I, like I just said, the, 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 the big wave of melancholia. Watching Possession makes you, yourself, maybe not uh, cognitively, but somehow wonder what's changed or what you've lost about yourself. And at least for me, now that you've said it and it kind of is registered in my head, I think that definitely is the feeling of, you know, those credits roll and it's that shaky, weird, kind of gothic-looking white text. And you I just looked oh, out and kind of looked past that and was like, you know, Jesus Christ, this is... This is upsetting, and I walked away, and I've, it's been within on my mind since I rewatched it today. Of like, you know, what God, something feels like it's missing, and maybe it's just a part of you that you. Not, I mean, everybody loses something about themselves every year, every moment. Something changes. It's that one moment everybody has in their life where, man, I got my shit figured out. I got my wife. I got my kid. We got a house. Perfect fucking family. Guess what? You don't have any of your shit figured out. It all just crumbled around you because you are still who you are. You have not tried to change. Either of you have tried to change. You've tried to bully the other person into doing what you want them to do. And that's, I think, kind of that's kind of where people get lost a lot in possession is you do have to put yourself in these situations. Well, I wouldn't be that crazy. Then what the fuck How is do you wrong? Know? You need a little bit of praise in your life. You don't know. And if you've lost something that you apparently have cared about, if you're supposedly care about, then you're going to fight. Even if it's just for the idea of who you thought your wife was or your husband was, you should fight for that idea. And that's what they're basically doing for the most part, as much as they can fight. I mean – well, I think that's is an issue and a flaw between the, the characters and, and what makes everything so intriguing themselves is that Sam Neill is fighting for what he believes was his wife and what was their marriage. And she's fighting for what she believes was him and what was their marriage. They're not fighting for yeah. themselves. They're, they're not willing to, to admit to themselves, this is who I am. I can't change. This is me. They're doing everything possible to change those things within each other when you have to look inside yourself. If you're not happy with who you are, that's kind of your fucking problem. Don't take it out on other people. Or if you're completely happy with who you are and somebody else is trying to change it, that way still, I mean, who are you going to take it out on? What's the purpose of it? You can walk away. You can, you can yeah, be and- yourself, but you might have to lose something. So you either lose yourself and again, or you at lose the something end, else. What ultimately happens to them, the idealized versions of who of their love, of this school teacher type lady or this powerful secret agent 
who could be the Antichrist, these very glamorous ideas of who they thought they were with, this marriage of what they thought they were, ultimately kills them and possibly destroys the earth, <laughs> whatever that ending's referencing, possibly makes the kid drown himself in the bathtub. Well, that's what I was going to drop in on, too, is what would be the most precious thing for a married couple? What's the one thing that nobody would want to damage or lose would be their child, and the child is yeah. that's the last scene, screaming, don't let him in, don't let him in. He's aware that it's not his father. The kid runs upstairs, and I take it that he you know, dies into the bathtub and drowns himself. So the whole point of this, that you got so lost in trying to figure out who you should be or who you feel you should be that you took the one thing that should have been important to you, and now it's gone. Innocence is dead. Once that's gone, what does what what changing, what being the green-eyed ideal version of, of your lover or yourself or whatever, what does that amount to and matter now? Because it's all over. It's yeah, all gone. And, Innocence is dead. And one of the lines in the movie kind of illustrates it beautifully. It's even in the trailer where Isabella and Johnny, they're in the restaurant, not looking at each other. They're both facing away while they're having this very intense conversation about the relationship. And she says, I think what you did to Bob was an interrupter. And he's, what, inhuman? And that means what you're doing is human? And that's pretty much what possession is about. It's about people pissed the fuck off at each other. So, I mean, I don't know. This movie, not really for everybody. It's not for the howdy doodads. It's not for your mother. It's for somebody who wants to sit down and actually kind of analyze something, learn something about themselves, perhaps. It's it's referred to as a horror film because of its title and because of the the content and the practical effects, which, uh, you know, not touched upon, but uh, just briefly, they are pretty cool. It does look really neat. Uh, The the green monster thing is... Yeah, it's... He did E.T. and then he did this. But it kind of works. I really like it. It's not a horror film. Uh, I, I would, if anything, call it a foreign romance, an art house romance. If you have to bog it down with something stupid like that, I don't know like if I'd romance. I mean, it's it's like you said, not something for everyone. And I wouldn't, I don't want to use some you know bullshit term like advanced film viewers. But I think if you want to take a retrospective look at yourself or um, just life around you, it, it's kind of necessary. Uh, if you, if you're into that style, if you want something a little bit more intriguing and very, it's a very stylistic movie. It looks very pretty, lots of grays, very German. Again, it looks that was, it gives it away. It looks like Berlin. It's dark. It's gray. It's very drab. It's, you know, it, you could just hear the Nietzsche Ebb soundtrack added in over top of it. The screaming makes it like a fucking <laughs> Diamanda Gallus album. So it's, very, very cool tone-wise. I, I'm always attracted to that. I, I just kind of love it. It's strange because usually something like that's upsetting. It causes anxiety, which it does most definitely, but something about the oh, screaming yeah. just makes it so necessary. It works. It's really like a love letter with like that's been cut out magazine letters stuck on there and mailed to fucking the human condition. Here you go. We love you, humanity, but, you know, fuck you. It's an anti-romance. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's an anti-romance letter to humanity. Uh, It's it's a big letter to the editor, and if you take it that way and look at it, it's pretty much just a fuck you. You know, it's it's what the guy Hawk was writing in visiting hours. It's one of his letters. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know about that, but... um, (laughs) 
It's <laughs> a very dark letter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that reference came out right. of nowhere. Um, yeah, we go see visiting hours if you want to see Michael Ironside hate women. Uh, <laughs> please watch Possession. And please watch before we do next week's show, which apparently might end up being Spider. Was the next episode Spider? It was not. Though eventually in November of 2020, we did do Spider. That episode is called The Scariest Thing About Losing Your Mind Is Finding It. But that brings us to an end of this Death by DVD classic. I've been asked since 2019 to bring this episode back. Audio quality be damned. So here we are. A little bit shorter than the original episode. And if you would like to hear that original live recording, you're in luck. Because it will be available uncut on our Patreon. So that's it. The show's over. The ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. Thank you for choosing Death and listening to Death by DVD. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Death by DVD, Instagram, Death by DVD, Twitter, it's also Death by DVD. Head on over to deathbydvd.com and subscribe. You'll receive our newsletter, merch discounts, Patreon updates, and so much more. You'll be the first to know everything about Death. All right, that's it. Until next time, be pleasant. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio. Audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Death by the Union broadcast from on top of Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.
Bye.